The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode 36. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for help with OCD and anxiety, then you can head over to my marvellous website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. And there you can find all sorts of resources, many different resources, a fountain of resources, in fact, uh, of uh, lots of things that, that can help you with uh, dealing with OCD and anxiety in a better way. And you can also find out a bit more about my story. You can find, find my uh, free mini course for OCD and anxiety in the blog. So um, it's a pretty good place to head over to if you are looking for some extra support uh, with these things. Now, my guest today is Gina Ryan, um, who is the producer and host of the Top 50 Mental Health Show on Apple Podcast, the Anxiety Coaches Podcast. Gina is a nutritionist and a coach who in 1993 opened New Health Natural Products in New York and also struggled with stress, anxiety and panic for over 20 years. Before the internet, she was able to climb out of her fear and panic to peace, calm and well-being by finding what did and what didn't work. She now teaches thousands of others how to do the same in a, in a fraction of time. After moving to Maui in 2005, Gina spent 12 years as a nutritionist consultant for both the Intensive Outpatient Eating Disorder Center and the only residential ED facility in Hawaii, sharing her compassion along with her knowledge and wisdom of the mind, body and spirit connection, helping clients clear their food-related anxiety, obsessions and compulsions. Gina is currently dedicated full-time to anxiety-clearing coaching, writing, and teaching clients around the world. She considers her work her calling and lives a mindful and compassionate life. It's a really interesting conversation, and uh, Gina, obviously having been through anxiety herself and having really struggled with it for so many years, she does uh, have a lot of really interesting information to, to share with us. Um, you know, she's also a nutritionist, so we, we talk about that a fair bit. We talk about uh, the spiritual connection to anxiety and uh, many other things as well. So uh, I really hope you find it helpful and interesting. If you have any questions, as always, do please let me know. And many thanks. Hi, Gina. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. No, it's fantastic to have you on. So um, to start off with, obviously, you're, you're an anxiety coach you're yourself, and uh, you're also a nutritionist. Um, but you, you actually have a, a story to tell about anxiety yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Oh, certainly. I think that's um, why I'm involved with uh, working with the people that I am and doing the podcast. Um, uh, you know, I didn't have any anxiety as um, a teenager. I had no real stressful 
anxiety, regular nervous kind of stuff as a kid. But um, it was more after, see, I think I was in college and um, I remember having a panic attack. And that, that's my first recollection of those really big feelings. Those, mm. um, and then after that, I remember feeling it at a lower, you know, a lower intensity, but, and that was just anxiety. And then eventually in my twenties, it was hanging on as like a daily thing. Like I would have ruminating thoughts and um, for me, it was the impending doom feeling. Mm. And, um, you know, just thinking that something was wrong, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't figure out what it was and it would just always stay there. And mine uh, manifested physically in my gut. You know, I would have the butterfly feelings. Mm. And um, I later learned that what I was experiencing in the morning was morning anxiety. But like you and I talked um, before we started recording that um, back in the day, nobody, and when I was experiencing this in the, you know, 70s and 80s, nobody was talking about that. Anxiety wasn't a word we used. And so eventually late 80s, I would say maybe early 90s, I heard uh, on an infomercial, late night television, because my uh, husband at the time worked nights and the kids were in bed and I saw an infomercial and she was describing everything that I had, everything that I felt. And she used the word anxiety. And I said, that was like a light bulb moment for me, Rob, when Mm -hmm. someone had actually put a word on it. Yeah. The doctors would just say, oh, you're nervous. You didn't get enough sleep. Um, they just had, nah, you know, you'll be fine. There's nothing wrong. But inside there was something horribly wrong. I thought I was dying all the time. So yeah, yeah that was my journey to hear the word and understand what I really had going on. Absolutely. Yeah. I can imagine it must've been really difficult at that time when there was you know, we were saying before, but there just wasn't enough information about these things. And even for someone just to say the word anxiety and for you to be like, well, yes, that's it, you know, but it's, uh, whereas today we're, we're so aware of anxiety. Unfortunately, now probably more than ever with, uh, you know, the situation with COVID and all the stress that people are under surrounding that, it's something we hear about all the time. Um, now, something else that you, you mentioned on your website is that you started to experience quite a lot of um, panic, like panic attacks. Can you kind of explain a bit about that and how, like, how that felt and kind of what you were doing yeah. to try to deal with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like I said, that first one, I think I was in college or, or just working. I can't quite remember the timing, mm. but it was, um, it was in the evening and it was a feeling that rushed through my whole body. So it was physical and it was emotional and mental. So mm-hmm. like I had all this flood of emotions of the, it's just like um, fear um, that something dreadful was, was actually happening. Not, mm-hmm. you know, the anxiety was more about the future, like what was going to happen with the yeah. panic attack, it was actually happening. So I had that feeling uh, physically, mentally, and emotionally. I just couldn't control myself. And so what did that do? That made me have, think I had a fear that I wasn't going to be able to control myself. I think I'm going to, quote, lose it. 
and that made me even more worried. Yeah. And it just perpetuated and kept the panic attack going. And of course, what I didn't know then is that panic attacks always ebb and flow and that it would always end. But each one, I would feel this one is it. This one isn't going to change. This one isn't going to uh, subside. Mm -hmm. um, and so that would keep it going. And I didn't really have any um, guidance on, yeah. on what the panic attack was. So I didn't, I didn't really know what it was. But I thought I was usually having a heart attack was my feeling because yeah. I would have sensations in the middle of my chest and my heart would be beating fast. And I would always say, oh, my God, I think I'm having a heart attack. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so true what you were just saying there about that feeling when you're having a panic attack. You kind of feel this certainty that it's not going to go away or that it's, right. you know, you're going to be feeling this and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. You know, whereas like if you can just hold in there, you know, and some somehow send send a message to yourself, try to reassure reassure yourself a little bit that it will pass in time. But it is very hard in the moment to uh, to remember that. Yes. And that's why it takes a lot of practice. Mm. That's why it, it doesn't change. Uh, Rob, right? Like, you know, this, when we get the intellectual information, like you're sharing information with your wonderful listeners, but them just understanding it on an intellectual basis doesn't change it. Mm. We need to actually practice in the moment, yeah. uh, re reassuring ourselves, talking ourselves down and yeah. remembering that this too shall pass. Yeah. 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 And that takes time. Yeah, absolutely. You're you're right. In the moment, it's about in the moment when you experience that panic, you know, reminding yourself maybe of of you know mindfulness tools or whatever you've been working on to deal with the panic, and just trying to trust in in those techniques that you've learned. And yeah. if you can do that, then then you will get through it, and you will well, you'll get through it anyway. No matter what happens, yeah. you'll get through it. But, you know, like you can get through it either by, you know, the skin of your teeth or, you know, in, in actually a way where you learn something from it, you feel a bit more empowered at the end of the experience, of the experience because you've actually, you know, followed the technique and you've yeah. actually managed to kind of manage, manage it a bit, you know, and so it's mm -hmm. not been so bad as, as it could have been. Right. That's the key, isn't it, to not feed it more because yeah. how we respond to it or how we react if it's knee-jerk reaction and we're scared mm. on top of it already being there we're just perpetuating it yeah absolutely and so because you were experiencing panic you know, panic attacks uh, at that time uh you mentioned something about agoraphobia uh now, often the two are linked because I, I know when I was younger and I was experiencing panic attacks myself, uh, mm -hmm. I still went out, but it made going out harder, you know, like yeah. going to the first time I had a panic, uh, panic attack was in a, a theater and it yeah. was horrible because I really felt like I was trapped, you know, I couldn't escape yeah. because I had rows of people me, you know, like next to me. And it would have been so awkward to to stand up in the middle of this uh, performance. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and this is a tiny London theatre on the West End. You know, it's like hardly wow. any space to kind of move at all. 
And so I sat there through through that uh, the, until the first interval, uh, feeling, you know, excruciating uh, anxiety. And, yeah. uh, you know, I remember kind of looking across at my dad and he was just sat there all calm as ever, mm. you know, looking yeah. relaxed. And, and then there was me on, on the inside. I just felt like I was falling apart. Um, yeah. You know, and so that experience for the next couple of years, it really stuck with me. And when I went out into social situations, uh, it, it was it was a lot more difficult than it ever had been. You know, I really felt that social anxiety and, you know, I was really concerned about panic. So I'd be interested to hear what was your experience with with that and kind of agoraphobia. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't remember when the first one was, but I obviously experienced high anxiety in, when I was out because mm. then it comes back to you. It's like you go to that same place again mm. uh, and, it, and you feel like it's going to always happen there, right? That's when yeah. we start attaching it to particular people, places, or things. Mm. And um, mine would be the typical, what the definition of it is, is the fear of the marketplace, that mm. the open, expansive uh, place would maybe a lot of people, but maybe not. Um, I would have, I, grocery stores were so challenging for me. And you've been there a thousand times. It's a wonderful place. Nothing ever happens. But I would just get that same feeling every time I went in there. And I would want to leave the grocery, the grocery cart would be full. And then there'd be a line and I would feel like I couldn't endure the weight in the line. Waiting, waiting was a killer. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. So that became difficult. And then it would become difficult. You know, I remember taking... Uh, you know, the kids to amusement parks and uh, big places like that. And it would be a struggle. Yeah. And you have to kind of keep it inside because you can't ruin everybody's good time. Mm. Um, showing your fear and your apprehension. Mm. Uh, so it's a very lonely, it can be a very lonely struggle. Um, no one seems to understand it. And I would keep it inside. And so grocery stores, the kind of amusement park kind of places with the kids would be a big struggle for me. Movie theaters were really hard. I would want to see the exit. I would have to know where the exits were. Restaurants, I would want to see what was my escape plan. Yeah. Like, where do I go to get out? Because it was always that feeling of needing to escape. Mm. I needed to get to safety somehow. Yeah. And I didn't even know where safety was. Yeah, but yeah, it wasn't yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, you were you were sure about that. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah it's true. It, it does do that to you. It does make you like check for the exits and and things like that. And uh, and you're right as well. It's it's ultimately it's about learning that that anxiety that you're trying to run away from is is on the inside. It doesn't ex right. it doesn't kind of you know it's not anywhere else. It's not. Yeah. At that table you're sat it's literally coming from you so it's learning yeah. to go into that anxiety rather than running from it but that's also easier said than done yeah. um <laughs> so um yeah and and then uh, obviously you know you you um you know after many years of of dealing with this many many years you yeah. began to to turn a corner so how did that start coming about 
Well, you know, I think I was always searching, you know, because um, I'm kind of a seeker anyway, you know, I'm a, I came of age in the late 60s and early 70s. And um, I remember I did a lot of reading. Um, I was always look, interested in philosophy and spirituality. And um, of course, reading then was going to the public library and getting whatever books your public library had. And I was in a very small town. Um, and I would read what I could um, about those kind of things because I kind of could piece it together because I didn't really get help from my physicians. And I never saw a psychiatrist or a psychologist about it because back in those days, you just didn't do that. Like you had to have a real big problem to see a psychiatrist. And um, at that point, as much as I send people to psychologists now and therapy, that was not something culturally that was in my world. Yeah. So I was just kind of, again, on my own, no, no medical help. Well, the only thing they ever wanted to give me was sleeping pills, which I intuitively knew not to take for my mm. own. I just was like, that's probably not a good plan for me. Um, so the way I would, I was just always seeking. I knew that some things made me feel better. Yeah. Some things made me feel calm. And that was like when I was experiencing my own personhood, my own self, like whether that was, so I, I get involved in things like I, I learned about TM when I was in, it was probably 1974. Wow. I didn't take the full course, but it was introduced as a meditation practice. I had taken uh, yoga, <laughs> back when we were doing it in the school hallway. Um, and that teacher there also talked to us about meditation and we did little short meditations. So that was kind of rolling around in the back of my head. That would feel good. And uh, because I was there, I found in a lot of philosophy, not Buddhism as a religion, but Buddhist philosophy. And um, I learned some techniques and prayer kind of things like mantras that helped me. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't still connecting them. You know, I just knew I felt good when I did those things. Felt good when I went to see those speakers or, you know, I saw Deepak Chopra way back in the, in the 80s and at a little theater in Syracuse. And um, I knew what he was talking about, like, oh, that makes so much sense to me. We meditated in this auditorium and, and it, I would feel good even though I was in an auditorium, which is not my comfortable place, but I could feel okay. Mm -hmm. Eventually, Rob, over time, because I didn't piece out, I didn't have like a light bulb moment. Yeah. It was very little pieces at a time, noticing that I feel better when I do this. I feel worse when I do this. And then things started rolling more quickly as I adopted a regular meditation practice mm. and began to actually use self-talk uh, from books I had read and um, people I had heard speak to remind myself that I was okay just as I was. Yeah. Like self-acceptance. Yeah, right? absolutely. It's key. Yeah. Absolutely key. Yeah. 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 Great. And, and, and I mean, it's, it's already interesting. And I, I really uh, I completely agree about, you know, meditation and a regular med meditation practice. It's so powerful. 
Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's amazing that you've been into this stuff for such a long time because, you know, yeah. I think uh, mindfulness became, yeah. uh, you know, became like mainstream, you know, maybe 10 years ago and before that. Yeah kind of you know it wasn't really that much of a big thing I got into no. it through uh John John Kabat-Zinn I started to read his oh, book I love him. when I was like kind of at the end of university so I was kind of like you know 24 25 uh and you know I was fascinated by it I, I really yeah. really uh, really liked his stuff um so yeah I, I completely completely agree with this kind of approach I really think it's uh, it's really important and Let me just say this right here before, because I, I might forget that John yeah. Kabat-Zinn's Full Catastrophe Living yeah. was so helpful because what his that book did is it made me realize the little things I had been kind of pulling together, just knowing that they made me feel better, mm. um, were all outlined in that book, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And actually, it's, it's funny for me, it's one of the most important books as well, yeah. uh, in a different way, because he introduced the concept of acceptance because up until that point, I just hadn't come across it. You know, I literally had spent, you know, kind of pretty much 10 years fighting with the anxiety, mm -hmm. doing everything I could. And even though at first it was a really frustrating term, you know, because, and yeah. it still is, I know it's really <laughs> frustrating for a lot of people these days when they hear, you know, coaches or therapists or whoever, saying hey mm -hmm. just accept your anxiety it's a bit of a pet, yeah. you know, pet hate of mine because yeah. it's really you know it's kind of like well how uh and so you know i i struggled with acceptance for a good few years but i really understood the concept and yeah. you know with, with practice i definitely you know got a lot better at dealing with it um up to the point today where you know it's 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 really good so um yeah, but I, I wanted to ask you about, um, because you mentioned there that um, in this recovery process, you know, it was taking it day by day, you know, yeah. to the point where you started to string together days yeah. of, of feeling anxiety, anxiety free. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, an, another really important message, you know, and, and I really relate to that as well. It wasn't it, for me, the process of getting better or learning to overcome anxiety wasn't a, a kind of, I've done it, now I've done it, and, you yeah. know, like, I'm better. It was more, oh, I've just gone three days, and I haven't thought about X, you know, yeah. like, what's going on? Like, you know, I, I feel relaxed, I feel happy. Where did this come from? <laughs> yeah. I, I, is it, was it a similar thing for you, like... Absolutely, absolutely. And I uh, think of this often when people come to me and they want to work with oh, maybe driving anxiety, you know, mm. they think, okay, I'm just going to work on the driving first, and then I'll work on something else and something else. But the reality was for me, just as my, I didn't know this at the time, but as my nervous system began to calm down, I started feeling better in all kinds of situations. It wasn't just one situation. For yeah. me, it was global. And, um, you know, because uh, like elevators had been a real trigger for me. I, I had such a struggle when I was pregnant and had to go to the sixth floor. Uh, you know, it was just like a sheer panic. And mm -hmm. over time, you start to notice, oh, oh, I just went on elevator two or three times and I didn't even think mm -hmm. about it, right? None of us have stress or anxiety or panic. 
And you just look back and you see that. And I also would begin to notice when I was very upset or nervous about something or had a big event going on that was uh, discomforting for me, that then I would, I would be more apt to fall into those more anxious behaviors of, of looking around for safety. So you start to notice that, right? But that stringing along one good day after another and not being upset when a bad day came, mm, right? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not let, not letting that kind of knock you off the uh, right. the horse because you know you may have made a lot of progress, but there's always going to be a back step here and there. That's yes. that's part of the process, and it's yes. not bad to have a back step. It's about what you know, what kind of steps you take after that. You know, are mm-hmm. you are you going to let it kind of like you know knock you off the horse altogether? Or are you going to get straight back on and, uh, you know, dust yourself off and carry on towards the sunset? But it's, That's right. <laughs> yeah, okay. but it, yeah, it's, uh, we, can, we can choose. And often it is a choice with these things. And I think often we don't realize that, you know, we can, we can get so caught up with the emotions um, yeah. that we feel like when we make a mistake that, you know, we can get angry with ourselves, we can get really upset. Uh, and we can think that we've gone back to square one, whereas in reality, you know, you've probably gone three or four days without experiencing anxiety. You know, you've taken a huge step forward, uh, yeah. and it's perfectly normal that you're going to take a, a step backwards. And often, it's also, you know, a little bit this kind of so many so many people who struggle with anxiety also struggle with a lack of self compassion. You know, yeah. and so beating yourself up. When you've uh, when you've had a bit of a lapse, you know it's unfortunately it's it's actually just going to make things even worse. So mm-hmm. we need to try to do the opposite, you no? Know? And uh, I think that will help us more in the long run. Yeah, and I you may find this too. The people who listen to the show or the people who come for help and co- counseling or coaching mm-hmm. um, that they are those people that are very hard on themselves. They mm-hmm perfectionists think they should have done it better and yep. better or faster. Um, they're just not right. That there's something wrong with me. Um, and because all of that feeds our stress. And so of course we would, you know, if we're adding more stress to our bucket, life puts enough in there, but when we add more for ourselves, of course we would be leaning toward um, anxiety and panic. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, as well as being a coach, you're, you're also a nutritionist. Mm-hmm. So um, I just wanted to ask you a, a little, a, you know, a little about that. Um, mm-hmm. So, in in your opinion, your your experience, like, what would be some, you know, what would be what would be the most important message, you know, to to give people about about diet and uh, mm-hmm. how diet can impact, you know, anxiety uh, issues. Awesome question. Thank you. Um, it's really important. It's really important. And we don't look at it that way because we don't connect often how we are thinking and feeling with what we have been eating. Mm. Um, But it plays a huge part. And so I'll divide it up into just two little sections. I know you asked for the most important, but first would just be caffeine, like any caffeinated type of 
um, beverages or foods, meaning like chocolates, um, need to be stopped, not for the rest of the life of your uh, natural life here on earth, but to give you the chance to not add more stress to your bucket because uh, I find people who don't want to give it up and that's fine, but then it's going to be a longer road out because it's just keeping the nervous system stimulated and into a, you know, a, a, the sympathetic side. Um, and the second piece, which, and I know a lot of people talk about the caffeine, so, but just know that's important. And then the other piece would be to really eliminate the sugars, which is a very processed food, the sugars and the other processed foods. You know, there's a million different diets out there. I'm not telling people they need to be this or that. Um, but if you eliminate the sugars and processed foods, you're just on a natural, better diet. So we're looking at more whole foods, more closer to the earth. So that would be plant-based. And that, because that gives your body what it needs. Mm. Without the overstimulation, processed foods are overstimulating because mm. they're so processed. Um, it's like sugar, the sugar cane that grows here, you can break that off and chew on it. It's not like taking a teaspoon of sugar. They're very different. It's in the processing of the foods that we run into trouble. You're making me feel terrible because I just, uh, <laughs> I just, I just sat here like eating like 10, 10 biscuits before we got started. <laughs> <laughs> well i'm not saying there isn't a place for those obviously <laughs> we all have to have our treats right yeah <laughs> but but sometimes people are on a very full diet of of processed foods yeah and um yeah. and it what it you know often especially with the sugar what people end up noticing is if you have those blood sugar dips then from having high sugar yeah. foods yeah. That it, it mimics an, an anxiety attack. It, it mimics mm. panic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it can also, you know, it can also not just anxiety. I, I I've noticed how it can kind of lead to like real depressive symptoms. Maybe yes. short-lived. They're, yes. they're short-lived, but it's kind of like you get a really low mood in general. You can feel like yes. grumpy and kind of you know not very nice to be around. You know because the the blood sugar level is going up and down and uh yeah yeah and i i th i think it's also interesting i mean sometimes i i well sometimes i used to start my day with a coffee with mm -hmm. sugar you know that yeah. was my that was my standard like kind of thing in my like mm -hmm. 20s and uh you know back then i was really struggling with anxiety but like that's what i was doing all the time and it's like just that alone would have yeah. you know would have had an impact for sure absolutely you know, absolutely i mean these days i still drink coffee uh but sometimes i experiment with just not having a coffee so i, I don't have a coffee right. like every morning i might have a decaf or i might have a tea yeah uh you yeah. know and um but i still drink coffee and it's good and, to notice the difference yeah, yeah absolutely and just try i try not to if i can i try not to have something that i'm always having every day whether that's oh yeah you know just mix things up and uh you know, I think sometimes we, we, if we become dependent on caffeine yes. for energy, you know, in the morning, it's maybe not the best thing. Right. So. Because why does it give us energy? Because it, it stimulates our adrenals 
Yeah, the stress. The stress so, that's exactly what happens. Stress hormones, exactly. Yeah. So, of course, we feel up then, you know. So, but I can drink coffee now. I, I prefer to drink decaf, um, but but I could have regular coffee. Yes, that's yeah. what I'm saying. You don't need to let go of it for your whole life, but letting go of processed foods would be super helpful. Okay, fantastic. And it also kind of links into my next question. I mean, um, I don't know how much you know about this because uh, it's at the moment we hear a lot of people talking about gut health and, yeah. you know, the, the gut biome and all this kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, there's, there's you hear about the kind of the gut and the brain link. Mm -hmm. Have you, do you know much about, about this area? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, back in the, um, you know, I owned uh, two health food stores in New York for 12 years. Oh, really? And, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and so I saw people for nutrition in the back, too. But, um, you know, we used to talk about the gut back then. And we yeah. would laugh, you know, the doctors would just say, because we used the term leaky gut, or we would talk about, you know, needing to feed your gut with the good bacteria yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. and not kill off the bad ones. And the doctors were like, you know, and so now they're all out there talking about it in their <laughs> scientific terms, which is yeah. fabulous. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not, it's not new. Um, many, um, you know, naturopaths and people who have been working in that field have always said that the gut was the basis of your health period. And of course, we used to call it the second brain yeah. because so much of our neurotransmitters are, are created and born in our gut. Yeah. Um, so yes, very familiar with this and very happy to see it become much more public knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, it's also kind of what you were just saying there about a diet that is, you know, heavily plant based. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the fiber in those foods is, yeah. is going to promote the, the gut health. And yeah, I, I think it's extremely important. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting. I think it's a it's a point that's becoming more and more uh, topical and more and more people are talking about it. So it's mm -hmm. a really good thing. Okay, in your in your kind of you know in your years experience of working with people as as both a nutritionist and uh, and a coach working with people with anxiety, what would you say like would be the most in, important advice you would give to to people who are struggling with anxiety problems? Oh yeah, <laughs> like where to start? What do I do first? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I always kind of break it down. What helped me was really working um, with the three pieces of my mind, my body, and my spiritual life. Mm. And so for my mind, I think I always tell people the first thing there to deal with is to look at your thoughts. Just look at them, see them. Like we don't have to believe all of them. Just to see your thoughts as something that goes through you, but is not who, who you are, mm. right? Yeah. When I was anxious, my thoughts were everything. I mean, like, mm. if my thoughts said, get out of here, I felt like I had to get out of here, right? Like, mm. um, so to know that your thoughts are not uh, who you are, you don't have to believe them. And then for the body, the biggest piece, the place to start is the breath for mm. me. 
yeah. being able to uh, actually tap into your parasympathetic side of your nervous system through your breath, meaning slowing it down. Mm. Um, and then spiritually, to be able to just leave space in your life to think about something beyond yourself, like the bigger picture, like how is this all working together and where, you know, where do I fit in here? That was very, very helpful for mm. me. So being able to be open to um, things like, um, you know, maybe it could be um, like John Kabat-Zinn's book because he touches very lightly on spirituality and leaves it open for everybody. Or maybe people want to dig into their own religion and look at the mystical side of their religion, if you're mm. religious. Like yeah. just being more curious because I think when we lose our curiosity in life, we become afraid because mm. it feels like the unknown is scary. <clears throat> Excuse me. Instead of the unknown being just something more to explore. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, well said. And um, one more question. So uh, like you, uh, obviously you, you moved to Hawaii at, at some mm. point. Can you tell us about yeah. that? And uh and how, how has it been like moving somewhere, you know, with a tropical climate? I'm sure that I'm sure that helps with generally feeling, uh, feeling good. Yeah, right? <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, I never, you know, it's from central New York. So central New York is um, as cloudy as Seattle uh, mm. in the United States. So it's very dark and gloomy. Even in the summer, there's not a lot of sunny days. There's sun but um, always this overcast kind of thing. And so um, when I moved to Hawaii, I, my daughter was living on a different island, but uh, I, when I moved here, I realized that the sun makes such a huge difference. Now I had already gotten uh, clear of my panic attacks and high anxiety. Uh, that was pretty much behind me when I moved, but I am still amazed at how much difference the sun makes like there's no denying this that being able to get bright sunlight every morning is huge it helps you sleep better at night yeah. like it was amazing to me um I didn't move for those reasons but it's and I always used to think oh I couldn't take all that sunshine I used to tell friends who moved to California like you can't I couldn't mm. take all that sunshine. Yeah, yeah, We're yeah. the doomy, gloomy kind of weather people. But yeah. it, it's just um, it because you get a better circadian rhythm when you get some sunshine every day, especially if you can get it early in the day, it just helps you sleep better. Which yeah. and when you sleep better, everything goes better, right? Absolutely. So, so that's it, people. All you need to do to solve all your anxiety issues <laughs> is move to Maui. We're done. <laughs> No more podcasts needed. <laughs> uh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I basically did the same thing. Like, you know, I, I obviously left the UK and moved yeah. to Barcelona, which is the the the, you know, the equivalent of, uh, well, almost the equivalent, not quite. If I moved to one of the islands uh, just off the coast of Spain, that would be the equivalent. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the sunshine makes a huge difference to me too. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it definitely really helps. So, um, Gina, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. It's been wonderful talking to you. And if people want to, to find out more about you, what, what can they do? Um, the best place to get everything is to go to uh, anxietycoachespodcast.com 
and it has uh, links to the podcast and uh, other things that we're doing and some information. So that's the best, best place to go. Fantastic. Okay, many thanks. Oh, thank you, Rob. Aloha. Remember, if you want to know more about me, you can check me out on Instagram, Robert James Coaching UK. You can go and join the Facebook group if you like, the Robert James Coaching Anxiety and OCD Support Group. And also you can check out my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. Many thanks. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist, or any other medical or mental health professional.